Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. This podcast tells the stories of our members. I'm Natalie Pearson, your host today, and I'm joined by Papuan Sawanakut, a Thai Australian artist who works in interdisciplinary forms that include painting, sculpture, and installation. Her work is informed by her experiences growing up in Thailand. Her life in Australia, including as partner of acclaimed Asian art historian Professor John Clark, who is based here at the University of Sydney, as well as many issues relating to cross-cultural dialogue and women's issues in a transcultural context. Welcome to the SEAC Stories podcast, Paptuan. Hi, thank you for having me. In preparing for this podcast, you used the phrase, a Thai contemporary woman artist and the space in between. Can you explain these identities to us and what you mean by the space in between? I recently think about my practice, looking at the work in my practice, and I think that I can't avoid or escape the space, the liminal space. It's like space in between that I identify myself as in it. Uh, It is because my practice is based on lived experience. And I grew up in one culture and now I migrated to another culture. When I moved here, my practice is already established and I was known, had been known before I moved here. So with the lived experience, I belong to two culture. And with the practice, the visual language, the representation that I use in my practice also belong to a certain identity like Buddhist art in Thai Buddhist temple as mural painting. So there is no way that I cannot maintain or separating myself from that background. Having said that, it's also feed into my future practice wherever, whenever I started a new work, a project or whatever project that I am dealing with. It go back to something that you had not quite arrived. At the same time, you have not quite depart from where you are. So um, it's going to be constant as long as your background and identity concern. You just mentioned Buddhism there, and that is one of the issues that informs your work. And it seems to me to be closely related to your, your work in relation to gender in your practice as well. And these issues, Buddhism and gender and art, have played a really important role in your life since you were a child. And you describe this experience of being nine years old, I think, inside a temple where your father, Pai Bun Sawanakut, who himself was an acclaimed artist, was painting his famous murals. And this Buddhist temple was a forbidden space to girls, but because of your connections through your father, you were allowed to enter. Can you tell us about the impact of these experiences on your own artistic practice? I did not ask for it, but it gave me a full experience. And of course, as a girl, gender in the practice has informed me since that early age. In my case, in that particular temple in Wat Pepon Taling Chan, I was the first one to stay overnight there. And it's not like overnight, overnight, one night but forever when my father was there. But when I was there, my younger sister was three, and my older sister, she was not interested in drawing or anything. So between me and this younger sister, there are two brothers, 
and these two brothers and myself were in the temple. And I did not really um, think this is boy's space, this is girl's space, and my father was tolerant. So it worked well at home, but not necessarily in the temple, because my two brothers always got something that when it came to my turn, I was stopped. You know, during the meal, sometimes as lay people, you, you get to eat after in separate meal. But sometimes my two brothers got special privilege. So the monk want to give mango to children, including me, of course. But to my brother, you can hand it direct hand to hand. But for me, the mango has to be thrown so that the mango did not touch the monk's hand and my hand at the same time then I can pick up the mangoes. So a little thing as that. And when it happened constantly at daily basis, and I said, okay, there is a place for girls and there is another place for boys. And it's not in the temple. But what's so interesting, you've painted this picture of a really gendered space here with these increasingly visible barriers, I suppose, to your participation and this idea of the mango being thrown at you so that the monk wouldn't touch you. Not thrown at you, thrown near you. <laughs> but it's subtle thing like that you notice. Absolutely. And that's what makes it even more remarkable that when your father did pass away, it was you who sort of inherited his legacy of mural painting and went on to paint many of these murals in Thai temples. And in fact, am I correct in saying that you painted more than your father? Yes, I think the space and the number of projects I have outnumbered my father's project. The reason is he passed away when he was 57 and he started after he um, graduated. You know, he, he was uh, one of a student leader. So there are a lot of projects that he involved. But for me, compared to him, I got his background as my base. So when I started, I've completed the project that he did not complete. Uh, he passed away halfway so I had that as my foundation and my base. So when I started off, I just picked up straight away and then go on. And when my father passed away, it was 35 years ago, and I have not stopped yet. So as you said, you've been creating this artistic practice for the past 35 years in Thailand and then in Australia. And before that, when my father was alive. Of course. And much of your work has raised both the visibility and the voices of women artists in a cross-cultural or, as you describe it, a transcultural context. And you were involved in the Women Artist Group exhibition Tradisection in 1995 and also in Wool Manifesto, of which you were a founding member. Wool Manifesto is something that some of our researchers at the University of Sydney who, who did their PhDs at the University of Sydney, um, for example, Claire Veal and Yvonne Lowe, have been heavily involved in. Can you tell us more about Wool Manifesto, why it's of such interest to these art historians and the role that it's played in rendering women's art more visible? Uh, before we go to Wool Manifesto, there was a precursor and it's called Tradisection. Uh, Tradisection uh, was an exhibition held at Concrete House in 1995. And um, at the same time, I maintained a mural painting project and kept my team but once a year, I was asked to participate in charity exhibition by women artists, and um, that supported an organization run by Buddhist nun Kunying Kanitha Vishen So I participated, and 
Strategy section at Concrete House, uh, however, was the first time that I voiced opinion of women issue. The exhibition involved five participants, some of whom are activists, and um, also Nitya Luari Warakun and myself as visual artists. Tradition section, however, when we started, coincide with the Women's International Day on the 8th of March, and we published a catalogue which involved voice and opinions of sex workers, the basic rights and um, discrimination against cross-gender homosexuality. So it's probably the first of a kind in Thailand. And after the exhibition, then uh, we decided that we should continue. Now, fast forward to Sydney. I also get to know Claire Veal and uh, Yvonne Lowe. Uh, so that's when we started discussing and talk more. And obviously, Women Manifesto and Tradition Section is one of the topics that we share. Um, in 2018, while I got commissioned to participate in Bangkok Biennale, Claire wanted uh, to do something about Women Manifesto. So it later on um, become a symposium, which was held at Jilalongkorn University Department of Communication Design. And consequently, it's become another symposium at Sydney University. And uh, we also uh, had exhibition at the Cross Art Project and uh, supported by Power Institute. So Will Manifesto had its origins in Tradisection or was sort of inspired by some of the discussions that came out of Tradisection and it evolved into this feminist biennial program that really pushed the boundaries in terms of Thai contemporary art for the way in which it made space for women artists in a scene that had pretty much been dominated by men. I understand that some of the materials or ephemera, the artistic materials from Will Manifesto have now been acquisitioned by the Asia Art Archive, is that correct? It's not an acquisition. It's a digitization of the archive. The materials is yet another project in the future. At Asia Art Archive in Hong Kong, though, digitize all the material. And also it has become an exhibition launch, has just launched in October. Yeah, and so you can see this exhibition on the Asia Art Archive website. It's called Crafting Communities and it coincides with the launch of the War Manifesto Archive. And I think it's wonderful to see these materials digitised because not only are they more accessible for people around the world, but this is a very precarious collection. Some of it was being attacked by termites where it was being kept. So um, it's really wonderful that it is now captured so that we can continue to enjoy it and explore it. And it's a really rich and wonderful resource. I'd like to invite you to talk a little bit about your latest work in development now. You know, my project is like one after another, but the latest one, the more recent one, uh, the one that is still wet paint in my studio at the moment is a series of composite of mural pieces because that's how I maintain my mural practice, but it has become multiple panels. And what is the title of this latest work? The title is Re-Allegory, Re-Glory. Re-Allegory, Re-Glory. And I must say congratulations because I understand it's going to be exhibited as part of the National, which is an arts event being held in March 2021. 
at three different venues in Sydney and it's going to be exhibited at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. So some of the things that you talk about in your artist statement, you talk about the apocalyptic Australian summer that we experienced last year, 2019, this idea of saying no and standing up to injustice and you also reference some of the propaganda posters. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about those posters? Yes, the studio I am working on now belongs to an artist who now is away. But before then, uh, I was invited by a friend to keep her studio when she's away as well. The studio was so hot during summer under the tin roof. And during that time, there is this bushfire never happened before. I have never experienced this bushfire before. My experience in the bush dated back to 2003 when I applied myself to explore the wild bushland, I can't keep talking about something that I really did not experience. So I applied myself there. So I experienced the wild, the bushland, you know, the new cloth, which was uh, refreshing. It never left me. This is the time you spent in Bundanoon, is that right? And you had this opportunity to share your child caring arrangements with your husband and wander the property in the mornings while he cared for the children and seek inspiration for your artistic practice. And it's really interesting that the sight of the bush, which gave you so much pleasure then, has now become something of such horror. And I've got this image of you in your hot tin shed of a borrowed studio suffering in this horrible summer that we endured in Sydney recently. But then you've also got these other influences. Like you said, you're living in this liminal space in between, right? So you've got these propaganda posters that you're also integrating into your work and this idea of having grown up in a culture where it was expected that you would acquiesce and that you would say yes. How do they all feed into the work, all these different influences? Before we go to that, I have to cite my earlier work called Not For Sure back in 2012, which was one of the pieces that I show in the Sydney Binale. That piece was based on the incident when 75% of area in Thailand was flooded. In my studio back here, I already started the piece on paper. And in my studio, the roof was not really well organized. And there was wind that uh, made rain fall. And I turned up at the studio early in the morning and found all this ink melt and everything. Uh, but then I got a phone call from my gallery in Bangkok saying, Patawan, if you have other place to house your work, please feel free to take them because we do not guarantee that it would you know, survive the flood. That was your gallery in Bangkok where they were experiencing floods and you're here in Sydney and your work in progress has been affected by the rain coming through the roof. So I look at my work and that produced the work. Now back to the work on poster. I was in the tin roof and then there was this apocalyptic fire and there are too much you can do and I had to distract myself. Um, so I came home feeling helpless. So I distract myself and search the net. And um, of course, as your background is from Thailand, and then you uh, end up going there. And because Thailand now is under another process of disruption, and um, I saw a propaganda poster 
the one that was very familiar to myself because I grew up and even in the temple, uh, they're filled with propaganda poster during the Cold War, uh, the way in which they're displayed opposite, contrary uh, visual life with communism as against freedom or liberal. These are posters from the 1950s, is that right? 1960, I would say. And there's, as you say, contrasting images of a village, for example, and images of people enslaved, I suppose, sitting on their knees, bending down before people who are obviously exercising some sort of coercive, violent control. And then that's contrasted with another poster depicting the same village where people are smiling, the colours are brighter, people are dancing. It's very powerful. It's very powerful and it's also imprinted in my memory and it's also dictate the way in which you have to be a good citizen. So um, your question earlier about not being able to say no, that is a code of conduct. So we are in the society or I was in the society at that generation at that time where there is only certain direction, otherwise it's bad. So as experience go and as far as you're allowed to do, I learned to behave myself. But there are certain things that can get yourself into trouble and I was not prepared to do that. I ended up being not able to say no to orders from superiors. I mean, people who are older when I was that little. You can't say no. You can't say what you want. And I think that is a struggle for me because I have never learned how not to say truth. So I think that is the most difficult for me when someone offers you something or it's your right to do or to get and you have to say no. And I think that is very powerful and it stay on. I grew up and uh, has to experience that throughout, even now. So to have access to that poster and um, to reflect on the disruption politically in Thailand now, it's like to revisit something that has not been resolved. And it sounds very much like an example of what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast of you occupying this space in between in Australia, looking back at Thailand, both historically and in a contemporary context with the political disruption in Thailand at the moment. We'll wrap up by asking you about one other work that you've got in development. And I understand it's been extensively delayed due to COVID. Fortunately, they have managed to schedule it finally in October 2021 after many months' delays, and that is a work called Leave It and Break No Hearts. Leave It and Break No Heart is based on a monument of women warrior in 1826 where two sisters fought off enemy of Thailand at that time. I was at the art residency in 2016, the year we mourned the late king. When I found that monument, People in the village where I stay rehearse dance every night. And um, in the middle of the night, I heard sound. And I did not know it was from a kite that was hung on the sky with the wind. And in the morning, I wanted to see the sight, but I come across with the singing sound and led me to the monument when I arrived. And it was claimed that one life lost every time they do ceremony. 
it's not sacrifice, but it's coincidentally like someone felt sick or someone drowned or it was like a curse. And um, during that time, there was a student reunion of my classes and uh, one of my friends married to a historian. So I said, can you talk about that monument? And he looked at me in the eye and he said, Papa one, it was not real, that incident. We still yet to locate that woman. This monument was built during the Cold War period. When he said that, and I looked back to his eye and I said, how come I go back to that community and not break their heart? So, um, live it and break no heart. This is title of the work. Another work alongside is, and the water reached its plateau because in the same community, there was another story in which a house sunk into a hole. What it was about was, there was a factory and keep extract the salt until one house in the community sunk. Like a sinkhole. And Leave It and Break No Hearts and this other one you've just mentioned, will they be exhibited together? They will be exhibited together over a six-month period in Bangkok at 100 Thompson Foundation. 100 Thompson Foundation. Okay, well, look, I hope it does go ahead finally in October 21 as planned, but you do sound like you've got a lot on your plate working hard on re-allegory, re-glory. I can't wait to see it at the National. Congratulations once again and thank you so much for coming in to talk to us. Thank you for having me. This podcast was recorded in 2020 and some of the exhibitions we talk about may have been impacted by COVID. Please be sure to check any details online before you head off to a gallery. You've been listening to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. Make sure to keep up with all our SEAC Stories podcasts by following us on your favourite podcasting app. If you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, let your friends know about us on social media.